You're listening to A Stranger Cast at thestranger.com. Hey, it's Wednesday, April 11th, and I'm Eli Sanders, and this is Blabbermouth, the Stranger podcast in which we talk about what's going on this week. There are a few things going on this week. Paul Ryan is leaving Congress. We will say our fondest farewell. And Syria. Donald Trump, as we record, is saying he's going to bomb Syria. Maybe it will have happened by the time you hear this. Trump's personal lawyer had his office raided by the feds. We'll talk about that. And Facebook's testimony before Congress. How did Mark Zuckerberg do? How did senators do? Plus, some movies and series that you need to be watching. Rich Smith is here. Chase Burns is back. Katie Herzog is here. And we're going to talk first about Paul Ryan getting out of the politics business. Thanks to HelloFresh.com for supporting Blabbermouth. Receive $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to HelloFresh.com and use the offer code BLABBERMOUTH30. Rich, hello. Hi, Eli. Katie, hello. Hello. Dan is away, so uh, we will talk about his favorite Democrat in Wisconsin, Randy Bryce. Randy Bryce Ironstash. Ironstash. He's going to win now. He's got a clear shot because, Dan, I'm sorry you're away to not and not able to pop the champagne with us. Paul Ryan is not running for re-election. He's done. Paul Ryan is dead. Dunn but- might be a, I don't know, I think Dunn might be optimistic. You, you think this is possible that this is clearing away for a presidential run maybe but at least like i'm 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 talking about short-term things now just to keep myself there's no way there's going to be a presidential run what by what metric did paul ryan did do well as a speaker of the house he didn't get obamacare repealed like he said he was going to do over the course of his whatever the, the the 10 years he was in power he didn't he got taxed like not even by but Frat none of that boy matters. Paul Ryan metric. Did he do well? Like he got the the tax cuts passed, but he uh, the the CBO just came out with a paper yesterday that says that the tax cuts are going to raise the deficit by one trillion dollars. Like you're living in the past, Rich. You're living in a world <laughs> where truth and facts still matters, and it doesn't anymore. Yeah, and I'm just not convinced that Paul Ryan is actually done with being a public figure. I think I think that there I think there'll be an act too. Well, let's talk about the things that do matter though. Iron Stash in a post truth post facts world, he's got a real good image, he's got a good Twitter handle, he's a working class <laughs> iron worker who's now got a clear shot at uh winning Paul Ryan's seat and in terms of short-term things that let me wake up each morning in our <laughs> really uh messed up pre-apocalyptic reality. It seems like the Democrats now have a really, really, really good, better than before shot of winning control of the House. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. when the House Speaker bails out, that's kind of a sign. Yeah, it suggests yeah. that they're not the Republicans aren't confident that they're going to win the House back, and that they're yeah, and the and the other two speakers who might come up after Paul Ryan, Kevin McCarthy, and Steve Lacey don't seem to be like they're going to be effective speakers either. So. But to channel what I know would be Dan's pre-hand-wringing, do not get comfortable with the idea that the Democrats are going to win back the House just because Paul Ryan is gone. You actually do need to show up and vote in Wisconsin for Randy Bryce and in your congressional districts in the fall for whoever you think is going to help change the reality in D.C. Yeah, and the loss of Paul Ryan isn't 100% good because he was a really effective foil uh the democrats were using him to fundraise he didn't pull well his favorability numbers were 
very low and people could rally around him in the way that the right rallies around and hates Pelosi. People could rally around and hate um, uh, Paul Ryan. And so that's going to make it a little bit more difficult. Just to send him off uh, in fitting style, maybe we should do the top three things that drove us crazy about Paul Ryan in a like we hate them way. So if I was to go first, one would be that he spent his entire speakership during the Trump administration and before the Trump administration apologizing for Trump, clearing the way for Trump, not having a spine on any of the things that Trump did to undermine our democracy, damage our respect for the rule of law, and any of the other things on the litany of uh, offenses that would have, as we always say, gotten any Democrat impeached. He laid down and took it while the dumbest person any of us has ever met took over his party and started splitting America uh, in half, or at least finally split America in half. And then he gave a bunch of money to his rich friends and said goodbye. (laughs) He's a good Republican. Katie, anything on your list of outrages for Paul Ryan? I mean, I think number one, I second you here, is just the absolute lack of cowardice and lack of a spine when it comes lack to of, Trump. Uh, uh, not lack of oh, cowardice, sorry, excuse me, excuse profusion. Me. Profusion of cowardice. He, he does not lack in cowardice. Spine, though. Yes, he does lack in spine. He came in uh, to government to 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 shrink government to make you know and to and to and to cut taxes, and he just signed his party just signed a. Uh, uh, a trillion dollar budget <laughs> yeah and to shrink and to shrink deficits and like yes. you mm-hmm. said the deficit is now a trillion dollars uh but executive power has bloomed he's done nothing to curb the powers of the president even though he wants to have a smaller government he's the he's arguably the worst speaker of the house in a very long time but don't worry president trump is taking care of all our problems including the world's problems he's promised to uh take care of what's going on in syria which is legitimately horrifying he's i think used the one correct word in that sense it's horrifying the chemical attacks on the people of syria and that they continue but his response is uh confused and confusing and the latest which will no doubt have changed by the time you hear this is that he's tweeting out a warning to russia that u.s missiles are coming so sounds like he has decided to bomb syria right right so I've been thinking a lot about this situation recently. I've been reading a book by um, Amy Chua, I believe is how you pronounce her name, called Political Tribes, which is an excellent book, and I highly recommend it for everyone. And it's about how historically the United States has really failed when we're entering these international conflicts to understand the primarily ethnic and tribal conflicts from within these countries. And that explains from her perspective why we failed in Vietnam, why we failed in Iraq, why we failed in Afghanistan. There's This keeps happening because the United States just doesn't understand these countries that we're interfering with. And that's my big fear of Trump being involved in, in Syria. These air, Like a year ago... After chemical, after Assad used chemical weapons on his people, you know, Trump dropped 59 Tomahawk missiles on an airfield two days on an airfield where presumably they were making chemical weapons. This was up and running a couple of days later. He killed eight or nine civilians. This didn't end the suffering or lessen the suffering of Syrian civilians at all, at all. And so that's my big fear of this is it's hard for, I think, all of us to see what's coming out of Syria and to feel like no one is doing anything. But I don't think that the United States in particular, the United States under Trump is capable of doing anything right. 
You pointed out on the Strangers blog this week one thing that President Trump could do if he really, truly cares about the plight of Syrian people and Syrian refugees in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could lift refugee caps. I mean, there we have a big country. We could welcome people here. I mean, at this point, so under Trump, we take less than half the number of refugees annual, annually every year. So the United States has, er, Trump has capped refugees at like 45,000 in the United States. Under Obama, it was 110,000. This year alone, we have accepted 44 Syrian refugees. So Trump's policy is basically no more refugees from Syria or any country right. with, to just make it simple, brown people. Basically. And we're pulling out of Syria. That was his last policy. And we're going to bomb Syria. Right. So right. Uh, here we are. Yeah. And th- there's a lot of I think we should all be afraid of Trump having this unilateral power to bomb countries, which Obama had as well. And he did. He, you know, he interfered in Syria without congressional approval. And after removing Gaddafi from office, Syria or I'm sorry, Libya has descended into more of a hell than it was before. So I just I don't think that the United States is capable under this president, maybe any president of doing this correctly, if history is any indication. But we could let people in this country if we actually cared about Syrian suffering. The other thing on Trump's mind this week, and sometimes from his public appearances, it seems like more on his mind than anything else is the Mueller investigation, which we haven't talked about in a while because it is complicated. It's got a lot of different strands. But this week, something very clearly dangerous to Trump happened. And that was the FBI in New York raiding the office and hotel room and home of Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen. Mm -hmm. And Trump flipping out and saying, uh, let's see, attorney client privilege is dead. They broke into my attorney's office, things like that. Uh, which which sort of skips around the fact that they actually got a warrant to do this. And From that the, a Republican judge. Right. Uh, and the Republican Rod Rosenstein at Signed uh, off the Department the, of Justice. Yeah. yeah. The Republican and Trump appointed Rod Rosenstein, who Trump now really dislikes and might be about to fire. Right. And let's not make the mistake that Trump makes when he thinks that this is the FBI, the federal this is this is the the New York State's like section of the FBI that went in there. So it's not this is not part of the the special uh, investigation, Robert Mueller special investigation. This is the state right FBI doing this. Yeah, that's important to say. So this is not Mueller ordering people to knock down the door of Donald Trump's personal lawyer's office. It's Mueller handing. He referred some information to prosecutors in New York. They, uh, I guess, worked with the FBI to then raid Cohen's office. But what- they were looking for the Stormy Daniels, uh, the contracts that um, that Michael Cohen made with uh, Stormy, Stormy Daniels and then the two other. Karen McDougal. Karen McDougal, yeah. And, and then I think one other woman who Trump had uh, allegedly slept with during the course of. Or had an affair with and more. It's all very vague right now. It's it's that they're looking, as I've read it, records of bank fraud, maybe wire fraud, uh, maybe election fraud or something like that. And it all connects uh, directly or indirectly to what was going on with the attempts to silence these women who are coming forward about their affairs with Trump, and seems to connect to the National Enquirer, which kind of acted as Trump's bad man was it the national Enquirer or another one of the uh tabloid tabloids, magazines yeah. that acted as trump's ba- bag man in one case and kind of caught they literally called it 
catch and not catch and really kill. catch and kill. <laughs> catch and not release. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they catch and kill. They caught the story, they paid for her story, and then they killed all of the fitness columns or whatever that she was <laughs> supposed to be able to write in exchange for uh, not telling her story or something like that. Anyway, the FBI... I think that people are getting too excited about this. I mean, it's, I think people are getting really excited about this because the word raid is involved. But, I mean, the FBI went in there with two teams, right? They went in there with the teams looking for the information on the women Trump had allegedly slept with. And then another team, uh, FBI team, like a tampering team, they said, to make sure that they didn't take evidence that wasn't directly related to that investigation. And also, this all boils down to politically, like, the... Whether or not Michael Cohen's um, paying off Stormy Daniels is a, a campaign violation mm-hmm. for Trump, and I guess it would be an impeachable offense, but no Republican in Congress is going to <laughs> <laughs> like uh, you know add that to the long list of impeachable offenses that Trump has already made. He already obstructed justice on national television twice. He you know he or admitted to obstructing justice on national television twice, and then. Even if the Democrats sweep the House in 2018, they're probably not going to sweep the Senate. And so even if he does get impeached, he's not going to impeach. He's not going to, the Senate won't confirm the impeachment. And so well, that I, I doesn't mean the FBI so should not stop invest or should stop investigating. The FBI right. should keep going. Eli, I believe that the special prosecution should yeah, continue unimpeded, of so course, this, until I, we find out all the information. So I've had no faith that any of this, any of the, the, the Mueller stuff will lead to anything because Fox News has basically not been covering this, you know. And then so yesterday I looked at Fox News online and I saw something incredible, which was above the fold on the first the first uh, thing on their website was um, a report about the raid on um, Cohen's place. And it said the pull quote said something about this being this being Watergate level. Which I was very shocking to me to see that on Fox News. Of course, the next story below that was by Sean Hannity, where he was calling it a witch hunt. So yeah, and they, on Fox News they might mean Watergate in the sense that they are the victims of the break. That hadn't actually occurred to me. <laughs> You're probably right. But what I think beyond the uh, question of whether the FBI will get the details on the payments and whether the payments to these uh, people Trump had in, had affairs with constitute illegal campaign contributions, there may be a lot more there and. What Trump is uh, raising the alarm about is in the abstract an important issue, attorney-client privilege. But the law does not protect attorney-client privilege when both the attorney and the client are cooperating to commit a crime, which it kind of seems like maybe is what Trump and Cohen did a lot. And so there may be more than uh, just the Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal problems in the relationship between trump and cohen we'll see yeah what's it's the crime fraud exemption to the attorney client privilege one hyphen defeats another in the rule of law all right next we are going to talk about mark zuckerberg appearing before congress this week rich you ever have one of those moments where you say i want some wine that i've never had before I'll take any wine I can get, but yes, I think I know what you're talking about. Well, if you find yourself there... I'm wine curious. Yes, wine curious. There is Wink. Wink is spelled W-I-N-C, and it makes it easy, easy, easy to discover great wine. 
Because Wink's wine experts select wines matched to your taste, personalized for you, shipped right to your door, and starting at $13 a bottle. $13 a bottle? Starting at? I'll take it. There's, I'll take a case. <laughs> There's nothing like coming home to a box of delicious Wink wine selected just for you. It's the best day of your month by far. Just fill out Wink's palette profile quiz, answer simple questions that your average store clerk might not ask, or be able to translate into a recommendation questions like, how do you take your coffee? Or, how do you feel about blueberries, Rich? Or, how long ago did you break up? (laughs) Then, Wink sends wines curated to your taste or relationship status The more wines you rate, the more personalized your monthly selections. Each month there are new delicious wines like the insanely popular Summer Water Rosé. I like them pink and cold. No membership fees. Skip any month. Cancel any time. Shipping is covered, and if you don't like a bottle they send you, they'll replace it with a bottle you'll love. No questions asked. Discover great wine today. Go to trywink.com slash blowermouth. You'll get $20 off your first shipment. That's T-R-Y-W-I-N-C dot com slash Blabbermouth for $20 off. Trywink.com slash Blabbermouth. Chase Burns, hello. Hello. You report to us from inside the social medias and the whole world has been sucked inside this week. As Rich was saying, Mark Zuckerberg is still testifying before Congress as we speak. Now he's in front of the House. Yesterday, he spent five hours in front of the Senate. You watched all five hours. I did. And I don't know if I really have anything clear to say from it. There was uh, a lot. It was a lot. Yeah, there were. There was a lot. I mean, where do we start? That uh, some of the senators apparently don't know what Instagram even is. Uh, or the internet. I, yeah. This, I wondered about this. So you have spent some time, and it may actually be a part of your job, uh, to explain Facebook to older people. Yeah. And uh, I would say that we don't, uh, the median age of the stranger is not the median age in the Senate, but you probably have conversations a lot like the ones that Mark Zuckerberg was having yesterday with senators. I mean, we should give everyone at the stranger credit because no one was that bad. No one in our office is that bad. And also Kara Swisher made a good point. She made a lot of good points yesterday during this whole thing, uh, the tech journalist. And she was saying how it's not necessarily an age thing even. It's just that these senators don't, need social media. I mean, some of them do, some of them that are uh, maybe running for re-election in the future, some of them that have have paid attention, but a lot of them have never needed social media, and so they just haven't really paid attention, and it was very obvious. But I need them to understand social media because I need them to regulate it and do that to protect my data. It was very clear whenever like the uh, um, pre-written statements that uh, the senator's staff had written stopped, and when the senator's questioning began, Orrin Hatch was reading from... uh, uh, several pieces of paper <laughs> that, that had his like 15 word speech on it and at one point in the middle uh stopped to ask mark zuckerberg wait what how do you make money if it's a free platform and then mark mark zuckerberg said uh we, we sell ads so there was just like fundamental misunderstanding by a lot of the senators especially the republican senators about what facebook did and it, it, it there were in one way i was like so irritated at them when when they seemed just completely inept at it and, and in another way i was like but this is kind of where 
most of America is. Like, we're kind of all having that turn right now, and you kind of saw it happen in that hearing. And uh, there there were some good points, like like Senator Cantwell from Washington mm-hmm. uh, totally got him. I mean, she, she didn't get him. It was just kind of confusing. Like, he lied a couple times, it seemed. Um, and, like, she asked him what Palantir is. Uh, what which, is Palantir? So I kind of had to Google that myself, but it what she said, which is something that a lot of people say, is that people call it Stanford Analytica, which is basically that it's just a, another data firm that it shares user information. There's a lot of them out there, and they're probably going to keep coming out. And so she was pressing to f- figure out uh, if Mark Zuckerberg was aware of Palantir's involvement in Facebook as Maybe because something's going to come out soon or something, and he said no. But it's there. There is involvement. Yeah, um, I read something that suggested that one Zuckerberg should really understand what Palantir is up to with Facebook because Palantir is owned by uh, Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel, who was a board member of is, Facebook, yeah. is a board member. And the idea is that Palantir cooperated with Cambridge Analytica to scrape data that was maybe given to the Trump campaign. And, and so there were bits like this in the hearing that were really interesting and that kind of came out for the first time and that you, you could tell are going to come out uh, over the next couple mm-hmm. of weeks. And then there were other times where like you had John, John Neely Kennedy of Louisiana being like, your user agreements suck, <laughs> which was a great soundbite. And true. True. Like totally true. But there was a lot of these moments where people were just like, no one reads your user agreement. And it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> you know, like that's not necessarily the problem. I did feel, though, uh, somewhat like that was a, in a way, in its bumbling way, it was a good kind of every man and woman moment yes. because we all, uh, and how many years ago was it that South Park pointed this out? Like we have all been just clicking through these long user agreements and giving away our lives to these companies without understanding what we're giving. And to have senators finally stand up and say, yeah, one, nobody can understand this stuff. Two, you don't even believe that anyone is reading this. So three, why is this a user agreement that we allow in the United States? That was uh, somewhat valuable. I wish they would have gotten to step four, which is we are going to make you make clear uh, user I was going to say, but the, yeah, the next question is what are they going to do about it? Clearly nothing. Half of the senators up there was asking Mark Zuckerberg how Facebook would best <laughs> like to be regulated by yeah. the government. Mm-hmm. When you're asking the company how to, to send you some papers about regulations that the Congress might, uh, uh, might pass, you're losing that fight. You're not regulating. You're just, being, you're just another arm of Facebook. And that nothing's going to pass in Congress for the, the the rest of the session because of the elections, and so nothing ultimately is going to happen. This is such a dog and pony show. I mean, I yeah, I'm, <laughs> I, I maybe I'm maybe I'm more hopeful because I feel like somehow this has kind of become this huge sticking point for uh, you know a, a, for Republicans and for Democrats, mm-hmm. and in that way it feels kind of hopeful because you're like this is kind of. Bipartisan, like, but I don't know. Everyone that is true. Lindsey Graham was like was uh, of the senators. Lindsey Graham was the one who's like, y'all are monopolies. Yeah, yeah. Lindsey like, Graham yeah. was getting ready to trust bust <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden. Like, now I can buy a Ford. I can buy a Chevy if I don't like my Ford. But what can I buy? A fa- can I buy another Facebook? You know, he was he was doing the like you know country yokel routine yeah. on Facebook, and it was and it was kind of pushing. Mark. He like Mark was ready to answer that question, mm-hmm. but it didn't push it far enough. I think we need to break up these giant tech companies, yeah. but nobody wants to do it. 
Well, well, and it's funny because Lindsey Graham brought like the first, the first big laughter of the whole of the whole hearing because when he asked Zuckerberg if he had a monopoly, Zuckerberg said no, and everyone laughed. (laughs) Yes, and that was refreshing because you were like, okay, maybe we're like people are seeing something clearly here, and they want to do something. It's just like, what do we do? And and no one has any clear path forward. Yeah, what he said was it doesn't feel like we have a monopoly, which was laughable because either he's uh, not feeling the reality or he's just lying there. But other than that moment, how do we feel Zuckerberg did? I actually thought he did better than I expected he would. Yeah. By virtue of the senators being terrible. I mean, he sounded like he was running a kind of like Senate hearing program. He said the word senator before he said anything before he said any of his sentences um he had a, there was that photo that went around of all of his uh, uh prepared statements or all of his, his talking points which were bulleted out um and contributed to the robot, robotic nature of his thing he didn't know how to drink water without looking <laughs> like a mutant um but yeah the senators did such a bad job that i, I mean all of the headlines on the tech blogs and the tech websites were like mark zuckerberg wins axios was like mark zuckerberg wins but largely because of the ineptitude of the senators yeah there's a there's a real conflict there because i i in some ways i agree with the criticism of like all these tech reporters are saying, like, oh, these these senators, they don't know anything about tech. And so obviously Zuckerberg walked away successful. But I'm also like, but so many people don't know anything about tech right now. Yeah. But then you then people come back at that and they go, people know way more about tech than you give them credit for. And it just feels like it's these people in San Francisco and Seattle being like, people know how to use apps and like people know how to like people know what their user agreements are. And it's like, well, maybe people in tech hubs do, but I I and people in rural areas do too, but I don't think largely people understand what they're Signing up for it. But, and then Zuckerberg also couldn't like answer some pretty fundamental questions. Like, do you see yourself yeah. as a neutral platform mm-hmm. or are you a media organization? Or engaged in political speech yeah, that's protected by the First Amendment. This is a dodge that they engage in all the time. Are they the publisher of the information that's out there? Do they control our information? There's a great moment when. Uh, Zuckerberg kept saying the users control their information. The users own their information. (laughs) And there was a senator who was like, so, uh, Mr. Zuckerberg, I own my information on Facebook. He's like, yes. Why am I not getting a cut of your revenue then? (laughs) Yeah. Because the truth is that you don't own your information in that sense. Facebook has taken the way Zuckerberg uh, described it, a license in that user agreement. You've given them a license to sell and resell and make money off your data without you getting any sort of cut. So you own it in the sense that you can decide who to share it with and when to delete it, but not in the money sense. I kept thinking of the line in your data poem, Rich, that describes Zuckerberg as the warden of the face place (laughs) and how big the face place is compared to any jurisdiction that's represented by any of those senators or even all of them collectively. There's 326 million people in the United States There are 2 billion Facebook users. And there's this way in which he is uh, the head of a kind of virtual country or continent or whatever you want to call it that dwarfs uh, the size of the country that these people represent. He'd like to think so. Yeah, I mean, they're (laughs) upfront about that. At the beginning of the year when he was running around the country and they were talking about their goals of the future, that was one of the things that they were excited about, that they make these global communities. And he kept going back to those talking points where he was like, 
because a big thing that kept coming back was like, well, maybe we'll just make people pay for Facebook because that's one of the ways people want to sidestep around this. And he keeps going back to, well, we want this to be a free place always because we want it to be an open exchange of ideas. Like there's the, all these kind of grand ideas behind it. And it feels very much like he's created. And I think a lot of these tech guys think this, that they've created this kind of new technology that will lead us into something better and grander. When and that, of course it is a platform explicitly designed to separate us into little uh, bite-sized chunks that can be sold to advertisers so that it increases division uh, uh, among us by, of course, yeah, trapping us in our, our little echo bubbles. And he will say when criticized, oh, we were just too optimistic. Were these idealistic people we didn't quite realize? And then when he's pressed, okay, you're now the head of a country uh, that has two billion citizens. How are you going to regulate their speech? What do you define as hate speech? What do you define as behavior on Facebook that's beyond the pale or behavior by Facebook? It's like, well, we're going to have to have an important discussion about that. Yes. His team is going to get back to you. Do you think that all of this, all in all, having watched five hours, does this help Facebook's problem uh, that you've been describing with people who are younger than me, not even being that interested in Facebook anymore to start with, and then a lot of people stepping away from Facebook, deleting Facebook? I mean, it, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to tell, obviously. What I'm really interested in is like, where is Facebook going to be? a year from now or, or six months from now when another controversy happens when these things like Palantir come out more clearly or when when uh, all of these ultimate revelations will, will come out how will they be able to withstand the criticism then because they're having this hearing now and it's a huge public event and I think users want something to to come from it and if nothing comes from it I think people will start to retreat from the platform. I think it'll be a slow burn. I don't think it'll happen quickly. I don't think, obviously, you know, we there's been a lot of moments like this in Facebook's history and people haven't abandoned the platform. Um, I think it just depends on how fed up people will be. But I don't see how Facebook recovers from this long term. Well, but if people abandon the platform, that's just going to make way for Chinese technology companies <laughs> to infiltrate American companies. And that was his argument. To, that was his big argument, yeah. There was nice. also, speaking of apology after apology, there was this great moment where, you know, in the tradition of the Senate, where the senator is talking and then the aide holds up a big <laughs> placard with a visual aid behind him. There was a senator talking about how many different apologies uh, and apology tours Zuckerberg has given over the years. And the aide held up this big placard of like 2003. I'm sorry about this. 2011. Sorry about your data problems like 2006. So it's been yeah. I mean, remember the time a couple of years ago when Facebook didn't tell anybody that it was doing a large scale psychological experiment on its users to see if they could make them happier or sadder. That's very fucked up. <laughs> and then they had to do a big apology tour for that. And at the time, we were all just like, "Oh, you know, sure. I mean, it's Facebook. I know I'm giving it all up to it. It's like, but I love it. I'm addicted to it. But now that's not the way we feel anymore. Now we there's yeah. a real understanding that the tech companies are oil companies and that they have you know, they're they're not our our friendly, beautiful, like welcoming connector uh, companies. They're actually just as ruthless as anybody else. Well, and again, to point to Kara Swisher, yeah. but she was saying yesterday, I thought was a really good point was that part of the problem and why we've gotten here is because we treat these CEOs like Zuckerberg, like, like boy geniuses and that we media uh, regulators, government have treated these people, these billionaires, like they're just some sort of kids. And it's like, Oh, we have to stop infantilizing them. And maybe if we would have stopped infantilizing them sooner, if we would have held their feet to the fire sooner, we would have 
found solutions. But we keep just being like, oh, there's Zuckerberg. He looks like a child in a big boy suit. And uh, it, it somehow makes it less scary. Mm-hmm. And these are these are real companies that are causing problems and division. If it was a mini Rex Tillerson sitting right there, <laughs> yeah, it would be a much different conversation. In terms of the other shoes to drop, Chase, that you were talking about uh, kind of appearing or premonitions of them appearing in the testimony, there was that moment where one senator asked Zuckerberg, okay, so Cambridge Analytica happened and we know about how much the Russians spent on Facebook ads and how many people that reached. You know, it was like a, a, over 100 million people reached by the Russian ads. Facebook uh, allowed Cambridge Analytica to scrape the data of 87 million people. Did those two groups overlap? In other words, were the Russian ads targeted at precisely the people who Cambridge Analytica took data about? Because that would be another way of showing collusion. And Zuckerberg said, we're looking at that right now. Chase, thank you. Thank you. Rich, thank you. Thanks, Eli. Whether you're a busy professional couple. I used to be. A large family that runs at a breakneck pace. Or someone who simply wants to start cooking more. HelloFresh makes it easier, tastier, and healthier than ever to enjoy the experience of cooking new recipes and eating together or alone at home. HelloFresh makes it so easy to cook delicious, balanced, filling dinners for less than $10 a meal and free shipping. You can enjoy not having to plan dinner, spending money on takeout for an easy night, or worry about gathering ingredients. Choose your delivery day that works for you and pause for weeks when you're out of town. Everything comes pre-measured in labeled meal kits so you know which ingredients go with which recipe and it's delivered right to your door in an insulated, recyclable package. You can choose from three plans, classic, veggie, and family. Rich, you just got the latest family box. That's right. They sent me a couple sirloin steaks, and I cooked them up. Mm. Sirloin steaks for two, but since I am only one, I <laughs> cooked them up and ate one. It was so delicious. The steaks came out great. I got that. There was some creamed kale in there. Did you know you could put sour cream and kale? It's, deli- it's great. It's a really nice way to get over it. What would you do with the other steak? I gave it to the refrigerator. Go to HelloFresh.com and use the code Blabbermouth30 to get $30 off your first week of deliveries. That's HelloFresh.com, offer code Blabbermouth30. We're going to talk now about things that we are watching and loving to distract us, take us somewhere else. But Rich, you've got a helpful tip first for people who are like, uh, was my data hacked by Cambridge Analytica? Yes, Facebook is now giving you the option to see if you're you were among those people who were used by Steve Bannon's uh, <laughs> <laughs> political psycho. Um, How do I do it? How you, do I figure it out? You go to your Facebook page, oh. <laughs> and then in um, the top right corner, there's a question mark. Click the question mark in the search field below. Type the word Cambridge, and what will automatically pop up below the search field is the question how can I tell if my information was shared with Cambridge Analytica I just clicked that little help screen link um, two minutes ago and the load screen is still going so I'm not sure if millions of people are trying to access it and it's a slow system or if it's just just Steve Bannon scraping away again yeah Steve Bannon scraping away or just a troll just a, a massive troll by Facebook 
All right, Chase, there is a movie that uh, people can find on Netflix, which is not a new movie, but you are uh, telling me and everyone else that we need to watch it now. Yeah, okay, so I think it's on Netflix. It, it moves around. It might be on Amazon like Prime now or, or whatever streaming service you get. But there is this documentary that is from 2012 that is called The Queen of Versailles, and it is... It's my favorite documentary, and I've liked it since 2012, and I'm always shocked that not everyone has seen it. Um, it was critically acclaimed. Um, so it starts off in Florida, uh, follow, following uh, Jackie Siegel and David A. Siegel. Um, and David Siegel, uh, at the time when they started filming, owned a bunch of timeshares in Vegas. He's a very Trumpian character. He's friends with Trump. Um, he was friends with the Bushes. He's based in Orlando. He even says during the beginning of the filming that if someone was responsible for um, rigging the 2000 election, it wasn't him, but it could have been him. <laughs> and he like winks at the camera. And it's like, you, I, I always have this theory that David Siegel is like the reason for all of our problems. Um, but he's this tycoon. And during the, the movie, you see them building the, the biggest house in America. And they model it after Versailles. And it's in Orlando, Florida. And it looks out at the, the the Bayou Swamp area. And on the other side is Disney World. And every night they can see like the Disney uh, fireworks show. It's this really weird American fantasy. And they're building this huge home. And they get all this press. And then in the middle of the movie, while they're, while they're filming it, um, the recession hits. And they suddenly are unable to uh, pay for the 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 building, and it it's this insane look into this kind of one percent family as they kind of lose all their money, and then there's just like dogs are pooping all over the floor, the family's in ruins. It's incredible, <laughs> and for me, I like to just simply say that this is the peak of cap- capitalism in a movie, and uh, also because I think that Jackie Siegel, the woman in there, is like a total queer icon for me. She's not (laughs) queer, but she like is really weird. Is this guy like there was that dude who was running for Congress and lost who said he was Trump before Trump was Trump. This guy sounds like actually Trump before Trump was Trump. Oh yeah. But he was friends with Trump. So he was just like one of the dudes. He was just one of the many, there's so many Trumps in America, sadly. And And, like tacky mega mansions want to build the biggest thing ever, not worrying about whether they have enough money to do it. And then this guy. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because he's tied into gambling too. It's like his, he came from a very poor family. That's kind of this common, um, I think it's this common narrative in a lot of kind of Trumpian men that are that age. And then he came from a poor family and his dad was obsessed with gambling in Reno but he never made it big and that's why he went back to Vegas and he made this big kind of gambling casino it's funny because Trump also it has this whole relationship with gambling like after he kind of everything was touched in gold by him he was like what next and he went to to gambling and there's there's that idea that kind of comes up a lot which is very American and very strange but this kind of, as you've described it, this hollow thirst for bigger and bigger and glitzier and glitzier. And it's so tacky. Yes. And it all collapses in on itself. Yeah, it's incredible. And with time, it just becomes even more incredible, especially with Trump as a president. Rich, you've been watching American Vandal. Yeah. Um, speaking of things that are slightly old, slightly not new, but very, very good. You may have missed it. It was. It's a Sometimes... It's, Things that are old are good. (laughs) 
It's a Netflix mockumentary that came out in September of last year. I'm just now getting to it. Um, it's a complete and utter and perfect parody of Serial or Making a Murderer or these kinds of documentaries that are like investigative journalism, reopening old cases stuff, true crime stuff. And it's set at a high school, I think in California, Oceanside, wherever that is. And and the the case, the big thing that everyone's trying to find out is who drew 27 dicks on the cars in the teacher's parking lot <laughs> with the spray paint. They, they spray painted dicks all over the cars. And it is so funny and good and spot on and absolutely you think you're going to get bored of it when you're like after the first episode but you never get bored of it i have talked to a couple people about uh telling them to to watch american vandal one person uh immediately uh watched <laughs> all eight episodes uh and another person has, has held off so far so um i also watched all eight episodes you did too. <laughs> in september when it came out all right it's so will, addictive but yeah i will do it next and Katie, you've been watching Mommy Dead and Dearest. Yeah, so this continuing the apparent stranger tradition of watching things several years after they come out. <laughs> um, so this is a documentary. It's on HBO. So uh, get your cousin's boyfriend's password and log in. It's really good. This is about... I really don't want to give it away because I want everyone to go watch this. But in short... The, it's the it's a documentary about a murder. The, a chronically ill girl murders her mother, and it turns out through the course of this documentary, you see that nothing is as it seems within this family. And this and this is sort of something that I've been stuck on lately. This idea that nothing is as it seems. Like last week, I found out reading the Huffing, reading an article in, of all things the Huffington Post that the Pulse nightclub shooting was not actually about homophobia. Apparently, Omar Mateen, the guy who, you know, killed 50 people at Pulse, didn't realize it was a gay club. His, like, his initial target was Disney World. And when there was too much security there, he just Googled club and came and, like, ended up at this gay club. And so that, to me, and, and of course, none of us, nobody assumes that because it's a gay club and 50 p p gay people were killed. Um, but it turns out that his his motivation was American intervention in Syria. So anyway, I'm sort of stuck on that this year, um, that nothing is as it seems. And this is a great example of we don't understand reality. We're just so, delusions here. Mommy Dead and Dearest, HBO. without giving it away. Yes. What What's the setup? Okay. A girl murder, murders her mother. It's a, a true crime. But it's this girl murders her mother who's chronically ill. And then it goes through sort of the history of this family. And you find out that maybe she isn't chronically ill. And there's a lot of abuse in the family. And there's... I just don't want to give it away. I just want you to watch it, Eli. All right. Okay. I want everyone to watch it. Oh, that idea also, the whole kind of like post-truth, what is truth, is also why American Vandal is so interesting. Um, I don't think I can tie it into Queen of Versailles, but maybe. <laughs> there's a through line. Yeah, we don't know anything. We're just, God, we're so ignorant. Yeah, well, so there was a higher purpose in bringing you all these old releases. It's uh, actually a meditation on post-truth. I mean, yeah, and Mommy, Dead, and Dearest is from 2017. So it's actually the newest thing out of all these. Yeah. I, well, except for Amer and American Vandal. These aren't that old. Not that old, but also not new. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the um, tagline for my generation. <laughs> <laughs> Chase, thank you. Thank you. Katie, thank you. Thanks, Eli. And that's the show. If you've got something you want to say to Rich, Chase, Katie, or me, call the Blabber phone, 206-302-2063. 
or dive on into our Facebook group. It's the Blabbermouth Podcast Facebook group. Thanks to Ahame Faleje Aluo for making the music we use on the show each week and to Nancy Hartunian for bringing our blabbering mouths to your ears. Thank you.